Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin a brand new series called The Whole Gospel for the Whole World. It'll begin with a message from Dr. John Newfeld, then several other ministry leaders will join us as Dr. Newfeld interviews them. Today let's begin with a message titled What Christianity Has Done for the World. Some of you have heard the name William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was English. He lived from 1759 to 1833. William Wilberforce was a politician serving in the British Parliament. He was elected to the British House of Commons at the age of 24 and continued to serve in politics for most of his life. But that's not the story. While already in the British House of Commons, Wilberforce embraced Jesus Christ. He became convinced of Christ's deity, his atoning death on the cross for sin, and he also came to believe that the Bible was the authoritative word of God. He had surrendered his life to Christ. But as wonderful as that is, it is what conversion did to Wilberforce, that truly is the story. Before his conversion, Wilberforce almost always voted with Prime Minister Pitt on everything. But now Wilberforce had a new Lord, and that would change world history. It was early 1787 when a man named Thomas Clarkson visited Wilberforce with a copy of an essay that he had written. The name of the paper? Essay on Slavery. At that time, slavery was widely accepted, both in the Americas and in Great Britain and in most of the world. Even though the influence of Christianity had at one time almost eradicated the practice, with the rise of nation-states after the Middle Ages and the advantage of prophets, slavery was back with a vengeance. And Wilberforce became convinced by men like Thomas Clarkson and Granville Sharp and from his pastor John Newton. And by the way, Newton was the man who wrote the very famous hymn, Amazing Grace. But most importantly, Wilberforce became convinced from his Bible that the matter of slavery was abhorrent to God. And so, the first time Wilberforce introduced a bill into Parliament, he lost by a landslide, 163 to 88. But he never stopped fighting. Finally, on March 25, 1807, after a very long fight, the British House of Commons passed the abolition of the Slave Trade Act in all the British colonies. It was carried by 267 votes, and it still marks one of the triumphs of the Christian faith, bringing about dignity and respect for every human being created in the image of God. I say all of this because in our day, there has been a deliberate attempt to mask what Christianity has done for the world. Let me give one more specific example before I try to paint a grand generalized picture. The father of modern evangelical missions is a man named William Carey. Carey and his family sailed for India from London in April of 1793. By all accounts, it was a very difficult experience. It took him seven years to win one person to Christ, but he did. That man's name was Krishna Paul. But Carey's family difficulties were enormous. He and his wife Dorothy lost three small children in India due to illnesses. Dorothy progressively lost her sanity, and then she eventually herself succumbed to illnesses. But in spite of all of his hardships, Carey's accomplishments are legendary. He and his team managed to translate the Bible into 34 different languages. He started the still influential Serampore College. He began many churches, established 19 mission stations, formed 100 rural schools encouraging the education of girls, started the Horticultural Society of India, and founded hospitals and assisted in literacy. 
Indeed, by the time he died, he had inspired tens of thousands to give themselves for the spread of the gospel in India. But there's another accomplishment I've deliberately left off so that we might consider it now. For some time, Kerry had become burdened by the practice among Hindus called seti. This is the practice of burning a widow along with the dead body of her husband. The problem was compounded by the Hindu practice of polygamy. On one occasion, Kerry documented 33 wives of one man burned alive at his funeral. Added to the cruelty to women were also the many orphaned children without father and mother. Kerry was appalled and believed that the love of Christ compelled him to act just like Wilberforce. And so after much effort, Kerry was able to persuade the British authorities to intervene and the practice was brought to an end. But in addition, on top of evangelistic efforts and Bible translations, Kerry also worked hard to end cultural practices like polygamy, female infanticide, child marriage, and worked to bring in laws that made it necessary to provide literacy to girls as well as boys. Well, those are but two examples. And so may I move from the individual micro picture to a much wider picture of the influence of the Christian faith on the wider culture as a whole. The Christian faith in its 2,000-year history has brought a benefit to the world. Those benefits are many and the effects are vast. The sanctity of human life. And this is because all human beings are thought to be created in the image of God. Christianity has elevated sexual morality, brought women freedom and dignity, has made the practice of charity and responsibility for the poor to be the mandate for all people. It has brought countless hospitals and healthcare to the world. Education, literacy, the upward advancement became a goal. The rights of laborers and workers became a cry in many places. The impact on science has been well documented. Indeed, it's a truism that were it not for the Christian faith, there would be no scientific enterprise as we experience it today. The idea of justice for all, the abolition of slavery, the impact of Christianity on the arts from music to paintings to architecture, the fight for the rescue of babies being killed in the womb. The list is an impressive list indeed. I wonder if you've ever considered how Christian holidays, like the Sunday Day of Rest, has impacted our work week in almost every nation influenced by Christianity. That changed labor laws and built in a day of rest. Now, the reason I say these things is that for so many, the only thing that they've ever heard is that Christianity has inspired wars and intolerance of other religions and the repressing of human rights. So let's be honest. Yep, it's true that after Jerusalem was invaded and forcibly overthrown by Islam at the turn of the first millennium. Then Pope Urban II called for a response that eventually led to the loss of countless human lives. It was brutal. And yes, it is true that such reprehensible institutions as the Spanish Inquisition has left a horrible legacy. But let's also be clear. Whenever there have been inquisitions and crusades, these things have been done in direct violation to the scriptures and to the teaching of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So let's be clear. Whenever a branch of the Christian church has conducted inquisitions, it has done so in direct rejection of Jesus, who commands that such behavior never be done. 
Indeed, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who as a German Christian pastor, took a direct stand against Hitler, his evil designs against the Jewish people, loved to quote Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Bonhoeffer said that the special obligation that all believers have to the church of Jesus Christ does not eradicate a debt of obligation that we have to the whole world. And of course, as anyone who knows their history knows well, it was the liberal church that supported Hitler. And it was the Bible-believing church that simply refused the Nazi agenda or to succumb to evil or to allow Hitler to dictate to those who follow Jesus. As Bonhoeffer said so well, no man has the right to be called Fuhrer except Jesus Christ alone. Bonhoeffer was hung in a concentration camp. But here's the point. Even though there have been notable violations by the Christian church, any fair reading of history will show it's not the violations, but the obedience to Jesus that has had the great impact on the history of the world. Without Christianity, the world would be more ignorant more cruel, more human rights would be violated, and there would be a more staggering rate of poverty. What Christianity has done is brought a blessing to the world. I feel this needs to be said. Today, if one compares the contribution to the poor from Christian sources as opposed to all others, well, that example is staggering. Whether we talk about George Mueller and his supporting of orphanages, that children have a chance at dignity or William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and his evangelical mission to the poor, the idea that Christian people have a divine responsibility to care for the least of these simply cannot be denied. So let me read from Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, as Paul describes his missionary activities. He says, When James and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. And so the evangelization of the lost and the caring for the poor have always been a part of the same package. We're so encouraged by the notes and comments we receive from our listeners and supporters, people who firsthand testify to the impact Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfelt has had upon their understanding of the Bible and personal relationship with Jesus. Recently, we received this note. Back to the Bible has been an amazing instrument to help me grow in my faith in Jesus. Thank you for keeping the message so clear and true. May God continue to bless your ministry. We're so grateful for the privilege of ministry and that people like you share our heart to make the truth of the Bible clear and accessible for anyone who'd listen. Please know that your investment in Back to the Bible Canada is both critical and deeply appreciated. To discover more about all the ministry resources or to share a gift to sustain and grow the impact of this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. From the perspective of the gospel, the calling of men and women to be saved and the calling to do good to all, that was never separated. These two things always belong together. Theologian Walter Kaiser has, I think, expressed the matter of Christian teaching and the ministry to the poor very well. He said, from a Christian perspective, neither the wealth nor the poverty of any society can merely factor in 
economic issues alone. In other words, it's never a matter of what one U.S. president said. It's the economy, stupid. According to Kaiser, the Christian faith always brings values to any group of people that radically transforms a culture. You know, what are those principles? Well, Kaiser mentions six key values. The first is stewardship. This is the idea that, in fact, God owns everything, and we are his stewards or his managers who have been entrusted to rightfully care for that which belongs to him. That follows a second principle, principle of values. If the earth is the Lord's, then how we care for it makes a difference. The Christian faith also puts a high value on things like church and worship and caring for others and the high value on family. Then third follows the concept of work. Each person is expected to work and contribute, to learn skills and prosper for the well-being of all. Our work is a holy calling. Fourthly is the value of private property. We are not called upon only to work for others, but to manage a chunk of this earth. The state should not own everything. And fifth is the mandate of being generous, as, as God in Christ has been generous to us. Hence, tithing and generous giving should characterize the people of God. And finally, sixth is the necessity of saving and providing for our children and ourselves in the future. Everything about the Christian faith is, is future-oriented. We fix our eyes on the glory yet to be revealed, and for the glory that is to come, we would gladly forgo immediate rewards today. See, once that attitude is adopted, well, this value base finds its way through to every area of life. We soon learn not to spend everything that we have, but we learn to think about the future and sense. And here it's not hard to see that there are economic values that are worked out in our faith. It's also true, as, as many missiologists have pointed out, the Christian faith provides redemption and lift. See what that means? That means that with time, the adoption of Christian values brings prosperity to any group of people. But of course, this doesn't mean that we become rank capitalists, and, and I mean by that the kind of capitalism in which it's simply every man for himself. Indeed, because Christ sacrificed his life for his church, no man or woman can be a follower of Jesus unless Christ's love constrains us so that we might sacrifice our lives for others. We are our brother's keeper. But on the other hand, being our brother's keeper doesn't mean we, we simply hand out food. How desperately wicked it would be for us if we cared only for the physical well-being of people and neglected their greatest need, their spiritual needs. For to feed a man or a woman, or a boy or a girl, and not reconcile them to God who made them is an act of callous disregard. It's not a kindness at all. It's cruelty. And so historically, the Christian faith has never separated out evangelism from matters of justice or the well-being of the poor. But in the Western world, a great schism was brewing over the issues of evangelism and the caring for the needs of the poor. And it came to us through the advent of what has been called liberal theology. Liberal theology, as we know it today, can be traced back to the late 1800s and a Christian seminary in Germany named Tübingen. It was there that a group of so-called Christian scholars tried to remake the Christian faith. The Enlightenment, a, a philosophical ideal, had begun to take root in Europe. Philosopher David Hume had written a very famous essay on miracles where he argued that miracles were a philosophical impossibility. All things can be explained, he said, simply by appealing to natural causes 
And if we don't know how, yet all things await a scientific explanation. Reports on miracles were never to be trusted. Faced with the thought that the Enlightenment might completely destroy the Christian faith, a company of theologians sought to rescue the Christian faith by trying to construct a new Christianity, a Christianity without miracles. Soon a quest was underfoot. This was the quest to rediscover the historical Jesus, a Jesus who was not the Son of God, a Jesus who didn't do miracles, a Jesus who never rose from the dead. But from this came a very natural byproduct. What then was Jesus all about? Well, the new miracle-free Jesus was redrawn as a a Jesus who went to the cross because of his self-giving love for others. Well, what then of the church? By now, we don't believe in Adam and Eve, and therefore we don't believe in original sin. And since we don't believe in original sin, we don't believe in a righteous God who is filled with wrath over our sin. The cross as an atonement is no longer necessary. And then, what is the message of this new church for the world? See, in many liberal circles, the new message was a message of self-giving love to the world. It dealt with missions to the poor and the needy, but it never shared the saving news of Jesus. Here's the saddest part of this very painful story. Sometimes, in order to back away from the ditch on one side of the road, we actually fall into the ditch on the other side of the road. Since the liberal church was proclaiming what had become known as the social gospel, all about ministry to the poor, sometimes Bible-believing churches wanted a pure gospel in which salvation was preached to those who were lost and didn't engage in ministry to the poor. And so had come to the West a kind of a division in Christianity between those who preach the gospel of Jesus and those who care for the poor. And with a little bit of thought, we can see how this works. We all know of so-called missions organizations who work with the poor, but who don't preach the glad news of Jesus or call for conversions and establish churches. They simply provide for physical needs. And in some ways, they just look like an extension of any secular organization or any government ministry caring for others. Liberal Christians might even say they do it out of of obedience to Christ, but unlike Christ, they never say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In short, the so-called liberal Christian church has stopped being Christian in the sense that they have now denied all the doctrines of the historic Christian church. And also, they stopped being a church for which God were they actually worshiping anyway. But on the other side, Bible-believing Christians, at least initially in the Western world, began to warn others of the the so-called social gospel of the liberals. And so, in order to show the distinction between them and the poor, they began to do, in quotes, pure evangelism without addressing such things as slavery and the rights of the poor and justice for the oppressed and the, the care and concern for the whole human condition. And as we all know, in in North America, this became very political. Racial justice became women's rights, which became gay rights, which became transgender rights, which became the talk of rights, which now includes rights we've never yet anticipated before. And how do we navigate our way through this? See, the answer, I think, is multifaceted, but we can mark off a few boundary points. First, Whenever the Christian church stops preaching the Christian gospel, she has become a rebel to Christ and an enemy of that same gospel. Unless we give ourselves to the glad proclamation that first we're sinners and alienated from God and subject to wrath, and second, 
That in divine mercy, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, unless we give ourselves to that glad proclamation, well, we cease to be the people of God. But at the same time, once we become aware of God's great love for the human race, we must do what James demands that we must do. James 2:15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so arising out of the gospel is the concern for the whole person. And it must never be the other way around. It must never be a concern for the whole person finally leading to the gospel. What leads is the gospel. What follows is the concern for the whole person. When that order is maintained, we remain biblical. And so this week, I'm going to interview three people who seem to understand that order. And I hope that this is going to inspire all of us to continue in our passion for evangelism and from that, the overflow of God's grace to the whole person. So please listen to all of these interviews and see what God might be saying to you and to your church. But also, thank God that not only has he provided salvation for us, but out of his grace, grace has been provided to the whole world in such a way that Christianity has blessed the world. John, a great message and uh, just the beginning of a great series. And we'll be meeting with people like Barry Sloan White from Compassion and Jason Roberts from Wagner Hills and, and Pastor Ray Duick, who you ministered with for many years. And, and we look forward to all these gentlemen uh, talking about how ministry uh, evolves out of what they believe to be true in the Bible. Yeah, I think, Ben, thank you for that. It's true. It's, we, we, we recognize that these people put together the salvation of the lost and the care for the whole person. And they're not the only ones that do that, but those are three wonderful examples. And I love the fact that we've, we've got one global example, that's compassion. Then we have one local example that really rises out of a local church. And then we have a local church example in which a local church asks those very important questions about what does our care for the poor and those that are needy in our community, how can a church combine that uh, with the sharing of the gospel. So we're hoping that what happens in this series really starts a conversation in many local churches about how they can care for the whole person in the way that God has called them to do. Uh, we look forward to a great and encouraging week of ministry right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. It's happening. After a two-year break, Back to the Bible Canada is inviting you to join us next February for our 2018 Celebration Caribbean Cruise. One week of cruising pristine waters, visiting beautiful island vistas, and most importantly, joining the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, including Dr. John Newfeld, Lathagain's Phil Calloway, our very special musical friends, Shane and Angela Weeb, and new friends from coast to coast in a time of relaxation, adventure, reflection, 
and worship. These events have been incredibly popular, so don't hesitate to reserve your spot today and sail the Caribbean with Back to the Bible Canada. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or online at backtothebible.ca. And an important reminder to all of our Back to the Bible Canada ministry supporters, no ministry funds are used to facilitate ministry vacation events. The entire cost of the event is met exclusively by the participants.